Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons. Welcome to the gathering of the miraculous. We don't think enough about miracles, I don't think, anymore. We're too uh, sophisticated for thinking about miracles. We're in a world of science and modern technology, and the miraculous is regarded as foolish. But if you have an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are sitting here as a miracle today. You wouldn't be here otherwise. With that sincere conviction, had God not worked a miracle in your heart, and if God could take an old blasphemer like me and raise him up to say something good about his son, that he is a miracle-working God, I'll tell you that much. It was mentioned before, something about urgency and about how we live in perilous times, and it's certainly true. There are challenges facing God's people today that are unique in this age. And uh, I would say they're unique even if you just went back 10 years ago. Some of the challenges that are facing us were not there. Satan is a liar. Amen. Amen. And the Bible teaches that. John chapter 8, verse 43, we see the Lord Jesus Christ mentioning this. I want to talk to you about five lies today in our society. And particularly you young people are going to be confronting these lies in ways that we really didn't have to. There's a lot of lies out there you're going to have to confront. And I'm just going to say, just steal your resolve on what the Word of God says and stand for it unabashedly. You're going to have contempt heaped upon you because you stand for what the Word of God plainly states. Be prepared for it. Be ready for it. And just say, this is what I believe. The Lord Jesus Christ taught this. The Word of God says this. That's what I believe. And they're going to tell you you're a fool. You're going to feel like an idiot and everybody's going to point fingers at you and heap contempt on you, but stand in the promises of God and in the truth of the Word of God. Jesus Christ said this to a group of people. Why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word? Now, there's going to be some of those who are heaping contempt upon you who fall into that category. They can't hear these things at all. It's not that you're saying them and you're not saying them good enough. These things are not that difficult to impart. They're just difficult for the carnal mind to accept. Because you cannot hear my word. That's why they wouldn't understand his speech. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. He is the father of lies. The lies that are in this world, the five we're going to talk about, they're coming right out of his playbook. And they're totally contrary to the Word of God. But just stand in the truths that you know. Declare them. Now, there's a sense in which we are to defend them. I think the primary way that you defend them is by living in a way that shows that you are in accordance with what you believe. Right? There may be some rational defense that you can give from Scripture. I'll show you a bunch of places where it teaches these things. And that may be good too, but I think part of the problem is we need to declare the truth with clarity. And stand in it. Sometimes you just need to let the truth land like a ton of bricks just right in the middle of a room. And there's places right now where they're saying, you can't say these things. You can't say them. They're outrageous for you to say something like that. Drop that pile of bricks on them and say, that's what the Word of God says and that's where I'm standing. Jesus makes this comment, and because I tell you the truth, 
Ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. You're going to drop that pile of bricks there, and some people are just going to say, I can't receive that at all. If they have the ability to receive it, that's because God gave them the ability to receive it. And don't prejudge and try to determine, well, I think this one might have a spiritual mind and this one over here, well, I saw him drinking and acting crazy over here. He's probably not spiritual. Not our job. Have you ever seen every cup of water that person ever gave to someone and understood the motive behind it? Jesus Christ said someone like that will not lose their reward. Right? Right? We need to be real careful about prejudging who we're going to deliver the message to and what. Let's represent the truth and let the chips fall where they may with respect to who can hear and who cannot. You're all aware that many false prophets have gone into the world. Jesus Christ taught this. He taught it so much that we ought to be more aware of it than we are. And perhaps at times we're too charitable about what's being taught out there under the rubric of Christianity, not wanting to offend, when in reality, a lot of this stuff is doctrines of devils. It's lies. It put people in bondage. Many false prophets are in the world. That to me sounds like if you were to spin the wheel, it's likely you're going to come up with a false prophet. Not unlikely. I used to say, you know, it's not like Jesus saying, this is like trying to find an albino chupacabra. We find an albino Bigfoot, that's kind of like a, uh, that's a false prophet. No, there's many of them. It's more like trying to find a squirrel. They're everywhere. So be aware of it. Satan's a liar. We're being told lies in our society. And here's the other part of it. This is the part that makes it difficult. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll hit this quickly. Lies wouldn't be nearly so effective... They weren't so dadgum appealing to us. They appeal to us. There's an element where lies are made to seem good. And what you're going to find is that people who are promoting lies, the most zealous promoters of lies are going to be those who think this is something that's good to promote. Right? It's not the old, you know, devil and pitchfork and horns and I'm going to to teach you something evil. They're telling you this is good. In fact, they're saying you're evil if you oppose it. That's a tough situation to be in if you're standing in the faith. And it can be a tough uh, circumstance to be in. But we find in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now this is talking about people working in the domain of the broader world of Christianity. Right? It's not even talking about just the abject, God-rejecting, atheistic, pagan out there. This is talking about within the domain of Christianity this is going on. Right? The broader domain. Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now you got people out there saying, I'm an apostle. I can tell you right now, somebody's telling you they're an apostle. I can tell you one thing they aren't. An apostle. Right? They're false apostles. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. See, that which is evil is made to be good. It's being cast in our world. These things are going to be cast as public morality. This is the moral and correct way to do, and if you oppose it, you're evil. It's precisely the opposite. It is precisely the opposite. You all know that. I want to affirm you in it. 
you're going to need to be affirmed in it. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. So you see, there is an appeal that this has. If you are a false apostle, as it's being addressed here, they're going to say things that have some level of appeal even to a child of God because you still have a carnal mind. And that's where it's going to appeal. It's going to appeal to the carnal mind. So they're going to make it seem really good. The lies that are out there, they're going to seem good. And you're going to be put in social circumstances that will put increasing pressure on you to bow to what they say is good when you know it is wrong. That's what's happening. As our society becomes increasingly secular, businesses, corporations, places where you work have started to step into the domain of religion. It used to be, you just show up, you put in your hours, you do a good job, put out a good widget, and we'll pay you at the end of the day. That was the arrangement, but that's not the arrangement anymore. The arrangement anymore is now we have a vision, mission, and values. We have a doctrine. We have a doctrine. And we're going to require that you adhere to our doctrine. It's religion. We have a sense of morality that you must conform to. And increasingly what you're going to find is that teaching from the Word of God, just simple biblical Christianity that takes the Bible for what it's saying about these things is going to be regarded as hate speech and unacceptable to their religion. So there's lies out there. Those are the principles of lies. Satan is a liar. He opposes the Word of God. There's many false prophets out there. They're in churches and they're, they're in the secular world too. There's all sorts of people declaring all sorts of falsehoods. And it's all made to seem good. You're going to feel the pressure and the heat on this thing of like, hey, you know what, I, I'm gonna, if I don't bow to this, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my potential for going and doing something. Maybe I won't get into this school. It's going to be real. This thing is getting real, people, so you better be prepared. Prepare for the battle, right? Don't be sitting there flat-footed, you know, standing there in flip-flops like, oh, it's coming on me now, I don't know what to do. I'm telling you, it's coming. So let's be prepared for it. Now, five lies. Some of these lies. Matthew chapter 19. Let's look at one. The Lord Jesus Christ is asked about the matter of divorce. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came unto the coast of Judea beyond Jordan, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed him there. Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now he is answering a question about divorce. Okay? Let me teach you something here about principle versus context. He is invoking a principle, which is how men and women were made. That principle has broad application. It plays into the matter of divorce. But just because it sits in the context of divorce in the Bible does not mean that principle doesn't have lots of other ramifications. You see that? You can't constrain the principle by the context, though it is invoked in a particular context. You see that? The idea that God made them male and female, that is a universal thing, right? 
That's just how it is. Jesus Christ said, if you say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that is true. It's true whether you invoke it in the context of preaching about the nature of the Trinity or the Godhead. And it's true if you're talking about, you know, how to tie your shoes. Well, you put one string over the other. And oh, by the way, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That principle is true in any context that it's invoked. And what is being invoked here in this answer relative to the topic of divorce is that God made them male and female. That is so easy to understand. And I'm telling you, just as little as five years ago, nobody would have questioned it for a minute. But you bring it up now and it's like, that's outrageous that you would say something like that. It's not outrageous. That's what it is. Jesus Christ taught God made them male and female. That's how it is. This idea of someone's sexual identity is totally ludicrous. It's all based on what you believe yourself to be. Well, the truth is, believing something never makes it so. This is the biggest problem with most of what we disagree with in the broader world of Christendom. Well, if you'll believe that Christ died for you, then it will be so. That can't possibly be the case. Something is so, and whether or not you believe it has no bearing on that. But if you do believe it, you can enter into the truth of what was declared there and have the rest and the joy of knowing what Christ did for you. That's all there is to it. Believing something never makes it so. God's people believe the truth because it is so. And they've been born of His Spirit and given the faith to believe and receive these things. I mean, I can tell you, I believe I'm the Easter Bunny. And that's not far off the mark from what people are saying about their identity. I mean, I tell you what, I tell you what, I can make a stronger case that I'm the Easter Bunny than what some people are making about their sexual identity today. That's just the truth. I got bunny ears back at the house. I mean... I think we got a wicker basket somewhere. We got eggs in the refrigerator. There's some circumstantial evidence that I'm the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Believing it doesn't make it so. So the whole matter of sexual identity is is a lie that's being sold in society. I'm telling you that heat is getting turned up every day. It's getting turned up big time. And what are you going to say when it comes to you? How are you going to stand on it? You're going to have to let that pile of bricks just plop on the floor and sit there. Say, that's what the Word of God says. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. And I am a Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to teach what He taught. And by the way, just five years ago, it wasn't even that crazy, even among people, you know, who aren't Christians. Sexual identity is one of the lies. Here's another lie. Follow the science. Follow the science. Well, there's a lot of ways you could go with that. First of all, what is science? How are you going to define what science is? You better follow the science. Let me tell you something. Christianity is not utterly beholden to the science. If you utterly follow the science as it is currently defined, you are not a Christian. You cannot be an Orthodox Christian without affirming that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and that He rose again from the dead. That is not following the science, people. That's not science. Christianity embraces the notion that all things which do transpire 
are a combination of, yes, some things that occur in the natural world, which seem to run by a set of rules that we have some understanding of. Yes, that happens. You drop an apple, it falls to the ground. We, we recognize those things. But you cannot explain the totality of all things that occur with that toolkit. The scientific toolkit is too small to address all things that do transpire. It cannot address creating something out of nothing. It can't cross that barrier. Now, there's physicists out there trying to play that game right now. There's actually Lawrence Krauss wrote a book called Something Out of Nothing, right? And they're trying to say, well, this is the science. No, it's not science. It's ridiculous. If you tried to pay your rent on that basis, it wouldn't work. You'd be evicted. Tell your landlord sometime, well, I, I wrote you a check out of a bank account that's got nothing in it. I'm giving you something out of nothing. And he's going to say, you gave me nothing. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing is what the old song said. And that's more, there's more theology in that, more truth in that than most people can swallow at this day and age. Follow the science. Well, the Bible declares, Isaiah chapter 7 and Matthew 123, we know the Bible says that a virgin shall bring forth a son. And that's what it means. This is not some metaphor, some flowery poetic language. This is a testimony of the miraculous. And the Bible is full of miraculous testimonies because all things which do transpire cannot be explained by the scientific toolkit because God has dominion over the things of nature and He does things that are contrary to the rules of nature as we would define them because He's God. Yeah. Right? I said, what a, what a novel concept. God might actually be able to do some God things. Follow the science is not going to get you there. I mean, and this one's kind of tricky because there are things that are scientific, you might say, that you should follow. My son's trying to learn how to drive right now, and I told him, look, I've had two daughters learn to drive and with varying degrees of success. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and I just said, I've got to net this down for the boy. There's one rule in driving. Don't hit stuff. <laughs> if there's a tree, don't run into it. If there's another car, get out of its way. Don't turn in front of it. As long as you don't hit stuff, pretty much everything else is okay, as far as I'm concerned. If you got to drive a little faster, to, well, I went over the speed limit, but I didn't hit that car. That's good. I'm good with that. Don't hit stuff. Okay. Y'all might take issues with that. I might have trouble defending it, but that's honestly my testimony. That's good science, though, is it not? It's good science to not get hit and not run into things if you're trying to keep a car up and running. I mean, I like hot baths and I like making toast, but I wouldn't recommend that you mix those two activities together. There's scientific reasons that that would be ill-advisable, Right? There's dangerous things, and there's scientific things that you should avoid that we know. You know, you don't jump off a high cliff and expect that you're going to live. We know that, but you must, as a Christian, embrace the idea that things that have happened are larger than just what can be explained by the scientific toolkit of naturalism. The virgin birth is exhibit A. Here's another one. Spirituality without biblical truth. Now, this is really popular. I see a lot of times interviews with people on TV and they'll say things like, are you a Christian? Well, I'm spiritual, but I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a Christian. Or if I am a Christian, I'm more of a spiritual type Christian. 
That's another lie. We see this in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 1. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, but let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So you find this example within Christianity, let's say, of people saying, Well, we want the name of Jesus. We want a cross out on the sign. We want to be called the such and such Christian church. And we want to have some reference to Jesus in there, largely to take away our reproach among religious people or Christian people in general. Well, we're some kind of a Christian. We just don't want any of that doctrine and stuff that comes out of the Bible, right? We just want to show up and be nice. We don't really want to imbibe in the teachings of Christ. We want to fall short of the notion of discipleship. We'll take the t-shirt and the bobbleheads and the stickers for our cars. We'll do all that, but we don't want to hear the teachings of Jesus Christ. We want the name only. Right? What's that like a kino or a china? Christians in name only, right? We'll take the name, but we really don't want any of the teachings of the doctrines and all that stuff. We'll leave that stuff alone. That's a big problem. We find another form of rejection that's over in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In other words, we don't really want this whole God thing going on in our lives at all. We're just, eh, just turn a blind eye to that. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made unto like corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So they step away from the truth here, right? And the thing that they're embracing is this notion of, well, let's make a God. Let's make an image of something we can worship. Let's take something from the creation. Let's carve an owl or a fish and let's cover it in gold and we'll bow down to that. We'll build our own religion. We'll be spiritual, but we don't want anything to do with biblical Christianity. This is a very popular notion. There are people now who are going out and saying, well, I'm going back to my roots. Well, what are you saying? Grandma was an old Baptist. No, I'm going further back than that. I'm a Druid. Right? I'm going to go out on the full moon and, and do crazy stuff like that because I'm spiritual, but I don't want nothing to do with the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it is fundamentally, I think, there's a lot of elements to it. It's a lie. It's not the truth. But I think it's largely a way to have some sort of spiritual aspect to your life but to avoid accountability. What you'll find in that is that you have this sort of spiritual thing, but it never calls your practice into question. It just affirms whatever you want to do. Christianity makes you accountable. If you are a disciple, you're under the discipline of Jesus Christ. His teachings should shape your life. It cause you to do this thing and not do this other thing, though you may want to do the other thing. It's going to have a shaping influence on your life. But if you build a nebulous spirituality out there, you can make anything spiritual, and basically your entire list of preferences becomes your religion. 
I mean, anyone who wasn't putting a spiritual uh, veneer over the top of that would just say, oh, I see, you're just incredibly selfish. (laughs) I get it. You just want to do what you want to do at all times, and you've come up with a clever way to regard that as some form of spirituality. No, it's not. It's just a way to put a guise over fornication, smoking dope, and not being accountable to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Spirituality, there's no such thing as spirituality, true spirituality without biblical truth. That's where real spirituality comes from in your instruction in the truth is pressing into the Word of God and why the Word of God is so important to us. I'll give you another one. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a lot of people falling into this one. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Shouldn't we be coming together and celebrating that? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. It sounds like these people had some doctrine they believed that they want to hold fast to. It's not a nebulous spirituality without doctrines and truth in it. They're holding fast to something. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a lot of consumer-based Christianity out there today. What I mean by that is there's a lot of people out there, and I've encountered many of them. I do a lot of back-and-forth dialogue with people through the Internet. And I'm astonished at how many people I speak to who seem to have a sincere interest in spiritual truths. Some of these people get more deep into doctrinal discussions than even old Baptists do. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. But when it comes to Something as simple as this, they don't want any part of it. I call this consumer-based Christianity. Right? This is the doctrine you learn from Burger King. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. It's all have it your way religion. You got it? So you get into these discussions. Well, I want to really understand what is meant here by the little horn of Daniel. Okay, that's, that's an interesting discussion. It'd be good for an old Baptist lunchroom. Might be esoteric and deep, and there's probably a lot of opinions that people would have on that. You seem very interested in this deep, dark, esoteric thing. But what does Hebrews chapter 10 say? It says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. That's not a deep, dark, esoteric saying. That's as plain as the nose on your face. And yet, these people, consumer-based Christians, want to have it their way, and their way is... I'm just going to talk about things on the internet and I'm never going to darken the door of a church. I'm not going to submit to baptism. I'm not going to take the ordinances. I'm not going to do any of that because I want it my way. The internet is not the church. It is not the church. Facebook is not the church. But there's a whole lot of people out there who are using it as if it is. And that's a dangerous notion. It's dangerous that you can see people who can be so interested in some aspects of the truth and then when something as plain as forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together is put before them, they're like, well, I don't think that really means I have to go to church. Really? Really? 
I'll say this. We should think about the Internet and maybe uh, Facebook and places like that. Maybe we should think about that more like the Riverside where they found Lydia. Right? It is a gathering place. It's a local watering hole. Jesus Christ found a woman at the well, did He not? And had a conversation with her. Uh, we don't have public wells. We have water piped right into our houses. And that took some evangelical opportunities off the table when we ran all those pipes all over the community. But we ran the internet all over the community too. And you got opportunities maybe to speak with some people on there. Some of these people of this sort. Maybe there's an opportunity to share the truth with them. But I will say this. Some of those people that you find there are wrapped up in consumer-based Christianity. They want it their way. I can get it off the internet. Why should I go to church, be accountable, do all the things I need to do with my brothers and sisters in Christ, have all that accountability, and i got to get up and get dressed and all the stuff. Now, oh, yeah, i got a financial contribution too. There's that. No, I'll just pay the Internet, and I'll get on here and just chat away. But that's a lie that many people are wrapped up in. And let me give you one more. Psalms 12. And this one is kind of near and dear to my heart. It kind of bothers me. The Word of God is inspired. Amen. Right? Amen. The Word of God is inerrant. Amen. Those two affirmations are not enough. Now, I came from a group of people who will get fighting mad with you if you try to contest the idea that the Bible is inspired or contest the idea that the Bible is inerrant. And they are right to do so. Those are two very important points. But it's not enough. Proving that your grandfather had a working shotgun will do nothing to deter a charging bear if you don't have that gun in your possession. You can reason with the bear. Now look, not another step closer. Smokey, you don't seem to understand that my grandfather had a working shotgun. Not going to do you much good if you don't have it in your possession. It doesn't matter how much he cleaned it, how much he took care of it, made sure it was always in, you know, sighted in just the way it needed to be. None of that matters if you don't have it in your possession. The Bible could be inspired and inerrant, and if we don't have it, that is a totally academic affirmation. Right? It's inspired and inerrant. Great. Where is it? Many of the people in Christianity today who will agree with us on inspired and inerrant trip all over themselves when you get to the third part, which is preserved. If you don't have it in your possession, it ain't going to do you any good. That's the dangerous piece that's lurking among those people who seem to be pretty close to what we believe about you know, how important the Word of God is, but if you get it right down to the level of, okay, where do I purchase one? Yeah. Well, a humana, 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 humana. I, well, uh, ancient languages, variants, texts, uh, Nestle and Allen. You're going to hear all these. You know, I'm, I'm right down to like, what's the ISBN number? How do I go to Amazon.com and purchase a Bible that conforms to those attributes? And I'm telling you, a lot of those folks who otherwise seem as though they agree with us, they don't have a Bible to sell you. 
we've taken a position on the Word of God that it has been preserved. Without preservation, inspiration and inerrancy are just academic affirmations that have no pragmatic benefit to you. And we believe the Word of God has been preserved. Amen. And the Word of God says the Word of God has been preserved. So whether I say it or not, it's of very little consequence, honestly. Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We've got the Word of God. We've taken a position on it. And I'm confident in it. Now, there's an issue with this that I run into sometimes, and I know many brothers have gone out and tried to build the case for why we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God in English. There's a lot of ink spilled on this topic. I don't really go there because I can't definitively state to you in an unassailable proof that that is the case, but I have received that that is the truth by faith. That we have the preserved Word of God. The Bible says it's going to be preserved. Amen. Where is it? Where is it? Amen. Right. Amen, brother. So we have taken a position on that. So those are the five things that I had in mind. I think, honestly, most of these things you're going to find more and more prevalent in this world, some more than others. They're becoming more and more prevalent that people are just taking positions that are absolutely ludicrous and indefensible, and they're contrary to the faith once delivered to the saints. It was mentioned before something about a sense of urgency. I get that. I was convicted by the the comments that were made about having a sense of urgency in these things. And I hope that one of the things I'm going to leave this meeting today with is a renewed sense of urgency. But I also want us to not just be urgent about it, but I want us to understand there's going to be some things that we're going to have to stand up to that even five years ago you would have thought, I'm never going to have to stand up to that. Why is that an issue? If you stand up in this day and age and tell them, I believe this is the inspired and errant Word of God and it's preserved and I have it and I trust it and I believe it. Many Christians, even the ones who accept the first I and I, they're going to have a problem with that affirmation. Just know it and stand on it. When you say Jesus Christ taught that God made them male and female, just know it and stand on it. When you say I'm not going to follow the science and everything because my Savior was born of a virgin and He rose again from the grave, just know it, declare it, and stand on it. That's the truth. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.